Hello and welcome to The Catch. I'm Matt Hansen, freelance editor with FindBet.com. Joined again today, he's number one in your hearts, but always number two behind me in our fantasy league together. He is writer and contributor for FindBet.com, Brad Mealy. Did you like that, Brad? That was nice. I mean, you're getting better, I think, at the intro here. So, you know, by the time <laughs> we get to the end here, you know, it'll we'll be uh, rolling real well. Yeah, well, you know, the, my lead editor told me to be more entertaining, so I'm trying. Uh, <laughs> we are, we're bringing you the third installment of this series where we will discuss everything going on in the world of sports that we can fit into 60 minutes. Throughout this series, we will cover a range of topics, including sports betting and fantasy, along with keeping up with current events, trade rumors, and more. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at find underscore bet and on Instagram at find bet, just one word. All of our newest content can be found on findbet.com. And uh, this week you can look for coverage on the NBA Conference Finals, uh, Stanley Cup matchups between the Lightning and the Stars. Um, and you can also hop on there and look up some NFL betting advice for week three and how to replace some of those fantasy players that uh, went down in uh, what we call probably one of the most significant injury weeks in fantasy football history this past week and week two. It was brutal. It was Sunday, bloody Sunday, and a lot of dissatisfied fantasy owners coming out of uh, this weekend, but hopefully we can go over some of the replacement players to be thinking about. Uh, you may have already hit the waiver wires in your leagues, but um doing some research today for the podcast I found uh on Yahoo just tons of players with tons of value that I, I think will be good replacements for these uh types of injuries uh, that we'll cover later on today um but again a lot of injuries and let's start there as many star players went down this past week including the two players that were likely to be the first and second picks off of the draft boards in your fantasy drafts this season being Christian McCaffrey and Saquon Barkley now, McCaffrey is expected to be out for several weeks with a high ankle sprain, um, and Barkley, unfortunately, has been ruled out for the season with an ACL tear. The ramifications for Barkley owners and the Giants is obvious, but for McCaffrey, two things to keep in mind, um, one being that high ankles are going to be an injury that's going to linger throughout the season, and it takes time to fully heal, especially for somebody like McCaffrey is going to be cutting and he's going to be planting and pushing off uh, on that ankle. This type of an injury leaves a lot of room and chance for re-injury and setbacks. Um, secondly, the Panthers are already 0-2 uh, and without McCaffrey, they're not likely to win a ton of games. So they may decide to be conservative with him, keep him out maybe a little bit longer than even need be uh, just until they feel like he is 100%. Um, and then they end up with a better draft pick come April. So it might not be the, the worst idea for the franchise in Carolina, but if you're uh, invested in him in fantasy this season, um, it could be bad news for you and something to monitor. Yeah, I think the biggest thing with McCaffrey is <clears throat> the biggest difference between McCaffrey and maybe someone else in the same situation is McCaffrey has his contract, so he's going to get paid. Uh, so the chances of him pulling an A.G. Green type season last year were – he sat out with a lingering ankle injury pretty much the whole year because he hadn't gotten his long-term deal yet. McCaffrey's got that. So the chances of him coming back, I think, are higher than just even if the Panthers are out of it. So if, they, if he comes back, he's going to be in good shape, and I think he's going to be more uh, prone to come back than maybe somebody who is not of his stature, doesn't have his contract. 
Um, we also saw uh, Denver's quarterback, Drew Locke, go down this week, which he's going to be out two to six weeks here with, uh, with an ankle injury um, or a shoulder injury, I should say. And uh, Jeff Driscoll is going to come in, and he's going to be the backup for them. Um, he came in last week, and he actually almost let it come back against the Steelers there. Um, so that was interesting. Noah Fant had a touchdown um, from Driscoll, and uh, he looked at him quite a bit after Locke went out as well. Um, but the Broncos are going to be down. They're starting wide receiver Cortland Sutton. He's done for the year with the torn ACL. Um, so many, so many ACL, so many season injuring, season-ending injuries this week were um, ACLs. Uh, it seemed like there were probably seven or eight this week just from week two alone. Um, and the Bron- uh, Broncos have all already lost Von Miller and Philip Lindsay is banked up as well. So Broncos are having uphill battle, especially with that tough AFC West. Absolutely. It, it was brutal uh, for Denver, but luckily, like you said, Jeff Driscoll came in and actually replaced uh, the quarterback position pretty well, looked pretty good. Um, they still have some talent there. Uh, Melvin Gordon um, had a good game for them and, you know, they're not going to give up. Um, they think that they're going to stay competitive and, and look for Locke to get healthy and come back hopefully sooner than later. Um, but they have enough talent on that team to still compete. Um so we'll keep an eye out what's going on in Denver, and and hopefully we can see a couple of those guys and Locke and Lindsey get back sooner than later. Um, no team in the league, though, Brad, has dealt with a worse rash of injuries than the San Francisco 49ers. And high expectations for them coming off a Super Bowl run. Um, you know, they return most of their players, and <clears throat> since the start of the season, they've just kind of been going down like flies there. Um, in week two, we saw Jimmy Garoppolo go out with an ankle. He's going to be questionable heading into week three. Uh, starting running back Raheem Mostert uh, is going to be out week three as well uh, with MCL. And they haven't really released information in regards to how serious that is. But with uh, an MCL, it could be anywhere from one to two weeks to maybe even half the season, depending on the severity. Uh, so we'll have to uh, monitor that, just keep an eye out and see exactly what's going on with him as he's been a fantasy monster so far this season, being a home run hitter um, and, and a chance to hit the end zone anytime he touches the ball. Um, also out of that backfield, Tevin Coleman, who would have been next in line to replace Moster, also went out with a knee injury. Um, but this is just adding on to Richard Sherman and George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Solomon Thomas, and maybe the biggest loss to the 49ers, not necessarily fantasy relevant, um, but definitely relevant in regard to their chances of repeating and getting back to the Super Bowl uh, representing the NFC their star defensive end, Nick Bosa, um, also with a torn ACL, as you had mentioned, a lot of ACL injuries. Is that something that you maybe think uh, has to do with the, the shortened off season and no preseason and just these players' bodies not being prepared for this type of contact and speed? Yeah, I think that the 49ers, obviously, it's going to be an issue for them dealing with all of that. Um, Coleman is, is, was put on injured reserve, so he's going to be out for a few weeks. Um, I think Moser will be back quicker than you think. And, and Jimmy G is going to be out this week as well. Uh, Kyle Shanahan confirmed that Mullins is going to be starting for them in week three. Um, so I just it's, – it's tough. I think the 49ers have an uphill battle. I think the NFC West is one of the strongest conferences in the NFL. Um, I think before all the 49ers injuries, you had probably – four of the top 10 teams in the NFC were in the NFC West. So um, really 
they're going to struggle, I think, uh, to replace some of those guys. Uh, that defense is definitely not going to be as dominant as it was a year ago. Um, and the offense is going to have to pick up the slack, slack because of it. Definitely. And in just kind of looking through these injuries, it got me thinking, you know, where teams are at in regard to their futures bets and futures odds for uh, winning the Super Bowl. And a really great value pick that I have uh, for that bet is for the Los Angeles Rams. In the first two weeks, they look like they've returned to form uh, to the team that they were two years ago when they made that Super Bowl run. And um, the defense looks good, and, and Jared Goff looks very good. Uh, it looks like he's, um, you know, just kind of falling in line with what McVay is, is calling for him and just taking what's there, and his, his receivers are, are making plays for him. Um, they're currently sitting at plus 1,100. Um, teams in front of them include the, the Saints, San Francisco, um, until the, the odds are adjusted. They're still in, uh, ahead of them. The Seahawks, Cowboys, Bucks, and Packers are the teams that are currently ahead of the Rams in regard to um, value bet for, uh, for the Super Bowl champion. And um, I just really think that that's a, a good position. It's a, it's a good return uh, on your bet. And they've looked good enough, and they've been there before, with the same core for the most part outside of Todd Gurley. And uh, for me, that's probably who I would put money on at this point. Do you have any opinions on that, Brad? Yeah, I think that that's, they, they, they definitely look better than they did last year. I think that they've kind of uh, streamlined their offense a little bit uh, compared to where they were last year. Um, the Saints, I, I mean, the Saints look like they're going to be a shell of what they could have been on offense. Drew Brees really looks like he's – Aegis seems like is caught up with him this year. He's not able to put as much zip on the ball. He's he's made a few decisions, especially in the couple early games that we've seen of him this year that aren't really what he's done in the past. Um, I think the biggest one for me, and if I'm going to put my money on somebody right now, it's the Seahawks. And I think that they have just completely pulled a 180 from years past, and they've almost basically cut Russell Wilson loose. And, and you know, it was funny because the media had kind of – kind of got on them as the year and years have gone on. And even through this off season where, you know, Pete Carroll says, we want to run the ball. We want to be really good at running the ball. You know, that's going to be where our offense goes out of. And everybody's saying, you know, you've got this MVP quarterback. Why don't you use him to, you know, win games and look what they've done in the last two weeks. Say Russell Wilson has nine, uh, nine touchdowns uh, through the air um, only to one interception. And he's got, uh, he's fifth right now in the NFL for yards passing too. So uh, definitely a 180 from what we thought the Seahawks were going to do. And if that's the way that they're going to do it, uh, they're going to be really tough to beat when it comes down to it. So if I'm putting my money on somebody to come out of the NFC right now, um, it's definitely the Seahawks. And one of my favorite hashtags coming out of the weekend was let Russ cook. And I agree. There's, there's very few players in the league that are as exciting and interesting to watch on a week to week basis than Russell Wilson. The, he's a smart decision maker. And um, <laughs> a stat that blew my mind was that he has nine passing touchdowns on the year to 11 incompletions to um, show his accuracy and decision making skills. Um, and one thing I will correct you on, and I know what you were saying was that Russell Wilson is an MVP caliber quarterback. But another thing that blew my mind is that Russell Wilson has never received a single MVP vote in his entire career, which doesn't yeah. seem possible. It's, it's borderline criminal if you ask. I mean, if you, if you can sit here and say the Seahawks would have had the same success the last eight, nine years that Russell Wilson has been in the league, 
without him, I, I don't think that that's possible. So, you know, when I, I, a lot of people look at the MVP and they say, well, it's the best stats or it's the best this, but I think the MVP is the person that means the most to their team in regards to their team's success. So, you know, when Peyton Manning uh, took the Broncos to the Super Bowl, um, the first time they won when they got then when they lost to the Seahawks, would you consider Peyton Manning the MVP of that team? He kind of carried them to the Super Bowl. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think he was the one big reason why they got there. Was Tom Brady the reason why the Patriots had gone to the Super Bowl so many times? That's something we're going to find out this year as Cam Newton has played really well. Um, but I think for me, the MVP is the person that means the most to their team's success. And Russell Wilson, without Russell Wilson, the Seahawks aren't even in this conversation for how much success they've had. Oh, I agree 100%. He's been extremely fun to watch so far, and I am excited to see what he's going to do the rest of the year. Now, for more information on NFL betting this week, um, check out findbet.com. Um, at the end of the week before Sunday's games, we'll have our picks, parlays, and props article out. Um, so look for that. And one more injury I want to touch on really quick before we move on is the pregame injury to uh, starting quarterback for the Chargers, Terod Taylor. We didn't know this until today, but information came out today that you actually sent me earlier um, that his injury was due to an injection he was getting um, as a painkiller. And uh, the trainer had apparently punctured his lung, um, which had caused Justin Herbert to get his first start in the NFL, um, which he was told by Coach Anthony Lynn about five to ten seconds before kickoff that he was getting that start. So uh, the rookie responded well. Um, what's your take on not only Herbert's performance, which was excellent, um, but <laughs> to what happened to Tyron? Poor Tyron. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of people, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of people at the end of a, a game and, and they went, you know, they saw Herbert's sat line and, and listened to Anthony Lynn's press conference. Anthony Lynn basically said, hey, Tyrod is our starter. Uh, when he's ready to start, he's going to be our starter. It's not going to, there's not a quarterback controversy right now. And a lot of people kind of scratch their head at that because if you look at Herbert, 331 yards on 22 of 33, and he had uh, one pass and one rushing touchdown. I mean, he had the Chargers on the brink of uh, basically upsetting the Chiefs in that game. Upsetting um, the champs. Yeah, exactly. So I think that was a little bit of a head-scratching move. But then this news comes out today about basically how the Chargers caused Tyrod Taylor to probably not going to not be able to start, obviously, that game. And he's not starting this week as well. You know, he's out indefinitely right now. Um, so, you know, I think there was a little bit of uh, sticking up for your guy there. Like, hey, like, we kind of caused this, so we're not going to create, you know, kick you while you're down type deal. Like, hey, we did this to you, and now you've lost your job as a starting quarterback. But I don't know if Herbert continues these type of games here the next couple of weeks. I mean, how do you go back to Tyrod? I mean, they did win their game against the Bengals barely in week one, um, but their offense is firing on all cylinders when Herbert was in there. Now you've got a week of film on Herbert. Our team's going to adjust to that, absolutely. Um, and we'll see if, if he can adjust back and, and make – those type of throws that teams are going to take away from him or, or think that they're not going to be able, that he's not going to be able to make. So, um, you know, I was surprised, especially with how raw he was coming out of the, uh, coming out of, of the draft this year. I was surprised at how high he was taken. I thought he would be a lower first round pick or even an early second. Um, but it's, 
he obviously passed the test. The Chiefs defense doesn't scare anybody from a, you know, from a uh, intimidation standpoint. They definitely can be scored on, um, and he showed that. But I mean, it was a great start. You know, a lot of a lot of players, but with with caution on that, a lot of players have really good games, have really good stretches, have a really good year, and then fizzle out in the NFL because they can't adapt to what defenses take away from their strengths. So he's just going to have to continue and to, to play better. And, and the Chargers offensive staff is going to have to build good game plans around him to kind of help him be successful. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I hope that he has the upward trajectory that we all anticipate that Joe Burrow is going to be having with Cincinnati. But, you know, all you have to do is look uh, at Cincinnati's week two opponent, Cleveland, on Thursday night last week with, with Baker Mayfield. And if you recall, it's kind of hard now at this point because there's been so much Baker hate uh, over the past season in two games. But, um, you know, he had one of the best statistical seasons that a rookie quarterback has ever had in this league. Um, breaking the the rookie touchdown passing record. Um, and then, you know, last year kind of coming out and laying an egg in Freddie Kitchen's offense. Um, but, you know, we always hope the best for these young guys. And, you know, if you're in a dynasty football league, uh, you know, Herbert's definitely somebody that, um, you know, if for some reason they're on the wire, uh, pick them up. And if you need a quarterback, uh, try to position yourself a trade uh, to get him because I think he has some long-term value there. Um, but let's talk about some uh, waiver wire moves this week. And by now, probably most of you have been hitting the waiver wires or working the phones to try to get some trades made to make up for those injuries that we discussed earlier. Um, but let's talk about the fallout and how we think some of these guys are going to work out. Um, Brad, we have a list here. I think you're looking at it. Um, you know, these numbers that I pulled uh, are ownership percentages on uh, Yahoo um, just as of today. Some of them shocked me. Actually, I'll start out with the one that shocked me the most probably is, is uh, Gardner Minshew, who has been um, not only exciting to watch and one of my favorite players and personalities across the league, but he has just been performing from a fantasy perspective. And he makes smart throws in the first, uh, in the first game. I believe he only had one incompletion. Um, and he's been finding ways to hit his receivers um, in the end zone for touchdowns. And he's only owned in 40% of leagues uh, uh, in Yahoo and, um, you know, not that quarterbacks took a huge hit, but, you know, maybe if you're a Jimmy G owner and was a little dissatisfied with uh, what you're getting from him to begin with, and now with him, you know, being questionable with that ankle, uh, maybe a time to move on someone like Gardner Minshew. But, Brad, uh, taking a, a look at the list, uh, who are some guys that you're really liking, uh, maybe for short-term and long-term uh, throughout the rest of the year? Well, I think when you look at it, I think Jarek McKinnon is going to be the starter, starting running back now in San Francisco. So he's going to have um, a good shot here while Raheem Mostert and Tevin Coleman are out, um, at least for this week. Uh, Mostert sounds like he didn't go on injured reserve today. So uh, teams can pull guys off injured reserve after three weeks now um, and an unlimited amount of time. So the 49ers, our guests are are less optimistic about Coleman with him being put on injury reserve and, and Mostert was spared that. So I think that Mostert will be back in a week or two by the sounds of it. Uh, but this week, Jarek McKinnon, if you need, if you're a Mostert owner and you can get him on the waiver wire, he's definitely somebody to target. Um, and then the giants, you've got the running back job up for grabs. Dion Lewis uh, was the backup for Saquon Barkley, but the giants just signed Devonta Freeman today. Um, now, how much will that change this week and how much work will Freeman get this week? I don't know. I think probably the safer play on the waiver wire is to get Deion Lewis if you can. Um, but if Freeman is out there and you can get him cheap, 
Um, I think he's a good guy to stash away because he may not have a good week this week, but he may end up taking over that leads lead back role as the season goes on and as he gets familiar with that offense. Um, a big surprise for me and, and watching the Bills Miami game this week is how much uh, work that Miles Gaskin has got as the Dolphins running back. You know, going into the year, it was Matt Breida, Jordan Howard. Um, those were the guys that everybody was talking about. And I was actually very high on Breida. I think he can still be, you know, a great running back in the NFL. And he stayed healthy this year, which is important uh, considering his past. But the coaching staff just has used Gaskin more and more. And he actually had a relatively good week against the Bills last week. They didn't run the ball a ton last week, uh, the Dolphins. But um, he's also a guy that if he's out there, he's a good late bench stash. He's not somebody that maybe, especially in a 10 or a 12-man league, where you're going to start him every week. But he's a good guy that's going to be able to fill in on bye weeks when you have guys out. Um, and I think that's a, you know, from a running back's perspective, those are the guys that you want to probably try to target this week if you're if you're weak at running back. And Miles Gaskin had 59% snap count um, in that backfield last week, and it was pretty representative of what we saw from week one as well. Uh, that was something that was extremely under the radar uh, heading into fantasy drafts this year. But Gaskin was also pretty successful in that offense last year, and I think that he has – uh, Coach Flores' uh, respect and, and trust to be able to execute that offense. So I think he's probably carved himself out a pretty consistent role um, at this point. And um, there's really not too much pressure coming on the backside of him from Brita or Howard. So that is somebody that I'm thinking long-term uh, for the season, uh, like you said, is going to be somebody that can, you know, at least be on your bench and, and kind of plug into a flex or fill in for a bye week. And, um, and yeah, I mean, he's been pretty good. Um, another guy that I have personal stock in, so I've been happy about this is Russell Gage, uh, the wide receiver uh, on Atlanta. And usually, you know, third receiver options aren't going to be too valuable in most um, fantasy leagues, but considering he's gotten 21 targets over the first two weeks working out of the slot there in Atlanta, and it looks like again, for another year, Atlanta is going to be very pass heavy. He's only owned in 30% or 36%, excuse me, of Yahoo leagues. And um, for a position that took quite a few hits as well due to injuries, he's somebody that I'm absolutely loving in, in redraft leagues. If he's available in your league, I'm saying go out and get him right now because I don't see Atlanta slowing down the amount and volume of passes um, that we're going to see from them on a week to week basis. Um, Todd Gurley, while he's looked pretty good um, in, in limited work, it definitely seems and appears that they're kind of limiting him on purpose. And I would suspect that's something that you're going to kind of see with him throughout this entire season. So I I'm thinking that that passing game is going to be hot and heavy, high in volume. And Russell Gage has been good with the opportunities that he's been given. Um, Dalton Schultz is another guy that right now only owned in 12% of Yahoo leagues. He looks like he has assumed the starting tight end duties in Dallas. Uh, he actually led the team in targets in week two. Um, and at this point, uh, all of that, that uh, hype and love for Blake Jarwin heading into this season from uh, fantasy people, you know, basically shift all that on to Dalton Schultz um, and, and go get him if you can. Um, Brad, anything else that you want to point out for pickups uh, to be looking at for this week? No, I don't think so. I think that, you know, that's going to cover most uh, redraft leagues, I think, from those. Uh, depending on how savvy your league is, you know, this is going to be 
a, a week where, you know, the good managers are going to be separated from the bad ones in regards to roster management and drafting. And, and like we talked about in our draft special in our first podcast, you know, if you spent your lower picks in the draft on high ceiling guys, and some of those guys have started to pan out, like owners who took Jonathan Taylor in the fifth or the sixth round took that risk. Well, that, risk is definitely paying out. He had a great week last week as the lead back now with Marlon Mack injured. Um, I think another one is uh, uh, Jonathan Robinson from uh, Jacksonville. He's turned James out. Ro- to- James Robinson. James Robinson in, in Jacksonville. He's Put turned some respect out- on his name. <laughs> He's turned out to be a really good um really good pickup for Jacksonville and he seems like he's getting the volume right now too so um, if he's still out on the waiver wire after two weeks you definitely need to be go, going after him um, but this is definitely going to be a week where it's going to test owners for sure and and to see how well they drafted and how well they've done when the waiver wire the last couple weeks yeah definitely um, really quickly I'm just looking through my notes uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention if you are looking for a wide receiver help Ben Roethlisberger has looked um like he basically hasn't taken, he hasn't lost a step uh, since being out last for most of last year with the injury. He's come back. He's looked like one of the best quarterbacks in the league again, and he's been spreading out the love. Um, Chase Claypool and James Washington both uh, have had some pretty impressive performances uh, over the first two weeks of the season. Uh, Claypool only owned in 9% of leagues, Washington in 12. Um, and also you had mentioned Naheem Hines. If you guys picked him up as a Marlon Mack replacement, feel free to drop him. Jonathan Taylor out-touched Hines 28-1 in week two. That trend is going to continue. Um, feel free to get rid of Hines and pick up uh, somebody else because he is not going to be productive from a fantasy perspective the rest of the season. Uh, Jonathan Taylor is everything that he uh, was thought to be, and um, he looks like he's going to be a stud. Um, so let's move on from that because we don't have too much time left. Got to fit a lot in. Um, but let's quickly go over the undefeated teams um, that are left in the league. Uh, we're guaranteed that at least two of these teams will not be undefeated as we have four of them playing each other uh, this week. Um, but we got Casey, Baltimore, Buffalo, the Rams, Pittsburgh, Chicago, the Raiders, Cardinals, Seahawks, Packers, and Tennessee. Um, Brad, kick it off here with the uh, the four teams that are playing each other and, uh, and let the, the people know what you think. So I think that when we look at the the two undefeated matchups this week, we've got uh, Los Angeles Rams visiting Buffalo this week. Um, the big thing in this game, a lot of people I think are going to – I think it's pretty much 50-50 right down the split from a pick standpoint, whether you're picking the spread or, or that is, is a different story. But – the big thing for the Bills is going to be if they can have if, – if Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds are back, they are going to be the key for Buffalo in this game. Um, I think this week we're going to see Josh Allen not regress, but I don't think we're going to see 300 yards passing, four touchdowns. I think that the Rams' defense is, is a lot better test than what he saw in the Jets and the Dolphins the first couple of weeks. Um, I think we'll probably see his first interception this week as well of the year. Um, so – that's going to be the big sticking point for me. If the Bills don't have Edmonds or Milano or both of them, um, he's that is going to be a huge problem. I think that that kind of really favors the Rams pulling this one out. But if he comes back um, and, and Allen can limit his mistakes and continue to progress against a good defense, I think the Bills have a really good shot at getting a 3-0. Now when we get to the Monday night football matchup between Kansas City and Baltimore, 
it's really going to be, it's almost a, a flip of the coin. And when it comes down to that, I'm going to go in, and you know, you and I've had multiple discussions about this. And, and we talked about, again about this. I talked about this in the draft podcast, our first one there for the preview. I'm still not hundred percent sold on Lamar Jackson. So Jackson, absolutely. He can light it up. He's dynamic. He can do a lot for an offense and, and give defensive coordinators nightmares. But for me, I'm going to go with the quarterback that can put the team on his back and basically will himself to victory. And that's Patrick. Right. Holmes. And that's Lamar Jackson. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I think I'm it's excited. Good. I'm so excited for this game. Um, I'm clearing my schedule and um and I'm going to watch that game from start to finish and probably rewind it and then watch it again from start to finish the second it's over. Um, very excited for that. So, yeah, you got KC. I got Baltimore. Maybe we should work out a bet. Um, we should think about that before we get off air. We'll, we'll make a bet of some sorts on that because I'm taking my boy Lamar in that. Yeah, um, I, you put your money where your mouth is. I'm ready for it. So, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll figure something out. All right. And, and uh, Rams-Buffalo, uh, who do you like? Uh, like I said, I think if, if the Bills linebackers are healthy and playing, I like Buffalo. Okay. I like Buffalo, too. They've just been playing really good. Josh Allen's been um, spectacular, and um, he's made the types of improvements I wasn't expecting to see from him until two, three years down the road um, by week two of this season. So exciting things happening in Buffalo, uh, good things happening for Bills Mafia. Um, happy to Happy to see it. Um, some other guys that are uh, undefeated heading into this week, Pittsburgh takes on the Texans. The Texans have had a brutal schedule um, opening this year. And um, I suspect that the Texans are going to, uh, I guess you could kind of consider it an upset at this point, but I think Watson gets them back on track. Um, I think that they, they beat Pittsburgh. I think they fall off the undefeated train. Um, Chicago somehow Mitchell Trubisky has willed them to 2-0. and uh, They take on Atlanta this week, who surprisingly started 0-2. I think Atlanta gets their first win here. The Raiders are, you know what, speaking of putting respect on people's names, I think it's about time that we start putting some respect on John Gruden's name because the job that he's done with that group, I mean, ever since the, the news came out that he was going to be coaching the Raiders, everybody kind of thought that it was going to be a circus and a joke, but he's really turned that organization around and they've looked good. Like not just like, you know, uh, flash in the pan. Good. Like they look like a good football team, Brad. Um, do you have any opinions on, on Gruden and, maybe the post-game celebration in the locker room with the team, but mainly the performance that we saw from them this past week? See, I'm on the opposite end of it. I think they're a little bit more of flash in the pan for me. I think this is going to be their test this week. Now, if they come out and they beat the Patriots this week um, and they pull that out and they do it convincingly, uh, I just – after seeing the Saints the first couple games, even with Michael Thomas for a little bit in that first game, I just don't know if the Saints are going to be as strong – this year with Drew, Ble Drew Brees. So, um, you know, the Raiders, I'm still a little on the fence about them. I, I don't think they're possibly as good as maybe what they've shown. But at the same time, you know, they barely beat a Carolina Panthers team, even though they were in Carolina in week one. Um, they had to go down to the wire to beat that. And, yeah, they had a good game against the, the, the Saints on Monday Night Football. But they also – uh, the Saints didn't have uh, their best offensive weapon in Michael Thomas. And even though they couldn't shut down Alvin Kamara, it still wasn't enough. You know, I, I would give more props to their offense than what they've done overall as a team. I think that they've done well, but you know, I'm just not there yet with them. I hear what you're saying. 
I have the Pats this week over the Raiders. Uh, Raiders also falling off that undefeated train. Uh, Cardinals, Kyler Murray has been looking like an MVP caliber player. Um, he has the the Cardinals out to 2-0. They have Detroit this week. I expect them to continue um, on and uh, get their third win of the season. Seahawks have Dallas. Um, this is a toss-up for me. Uh, I know Dallas has been underperforming, and uh, what a game between them and Atlanta. That onside kick was both unbelievable and amazing for Dallas, and also at the same time, if you're Atlanta, I don't understand what those players are thinking um, at that point, uh, letting that happen. But uh, props to Dak and the Cowboys for that comeback. Um, I don't know what to say on this one. I mean, I guess kind of just because Russell is playing so well, I guess I kind of have to take the Seahawks. Um, but Dallas is no joke, and uh, that offense is legit. Uh, say what you want to say about the defense, but the offense has been um, explosive, and C.D. Lamb has been um, a nice surprise for that team. Um, kind of taking a lot of the limelight away from Michael Gallup, who, um, while making a couple of big plays, hasn't really stepped into the larger role that we expected to see from him uh, this year. Um, and then last one, Brad, or last two, Packers in Tennessee. Uh, what's your takes on them? Packers are playing the Saints on Sunday Night Football, and I think the Packers are going to roll. They've, I mean, they're offensively, they've been unstoppable to start the year. Defensively, they've struggled a little bit. They've given up 20 points in each game that they've played defensively, but they've scored over 40 in both the other games. So um, Aaron Rodgers looks really good. He looks a lot more comfortable in year two of uh, Matt LaFleur's offense. So that's a big uh, – I think Packers are going to beat the Saints pretty easily in that one. Um, and Tennessee, Minnesota um, – you know, Tennessee, I think, is the better team right now, Minnesota. I'm surprised at how much Minnesota has struggled on offense. You know, they traded away Stephon Diggs to the Bills, and everybody said, oh, they should be fine. You know, they've got Adam Thielen. They drafted Justin Jefferson. You know, they should be good. But it seems like they've not been able to adjust, or defenses have been able to key in on Thielen now with Diggs being gone. And Jefferson uh, really hasn't been much of a threat. And then that allows them to – to uh, bait Kirk Cousins into bad throws. He had three interceptions last week and barely 100 yards against Colts, who the Jaguars ended up upsetting in week one. So, you know, it's kind of upside down from that standpoint. But I think Tennessee beats Minnesota. I think Minnesota drops to 0-3, and I think that is their – I think Mike Zimmer is in real trouble if they start off 0-3 this year. Yeah, and I, I, I tend to agree. I think Tennessee will beat them as well which is too bad because there's a lot of hype and expectations surrounding that Vikings team, but maybe losing Kevin Stefanski uh, to the Browns um, and disrupting the flow that they had on offense last year was just too much. And, and they haven't been able to adjust. Uh, but speaking of Owen two teams, um, Texans, Falcons, Eagles and Vikings that we had talked about just now, I think both of us are out on the Vikings, but um, out of the Texans, Falcons and Eagles, which of those teams do you see having the best chance to make the playoffs still after starting out Owen two? Uh, if I'm looking at it, the NFC is tough this year. I think that uh, there are a lot of really good teams. I think if you're going to pick a stronger conference this year, it's the NFC, in my opinion. Um, you've got some real powerhouses in the AFC. But so if I'm going to have to pick a team from the 0-2 teams, I'm going to have to pick the Texans. And I don't even think they're going to win this week. I think they're going to start off 0-3. And the Pittsburgh is a, is a really good team, good offense now, and a good defense. Um, but – if you look at the Falcons, the Falcons are two or three plays from being 2-0, and um, but their defense completely collapsed. And for a Dan Quinn, who is a defensively-minded coach, he's been the Atlanta Falcons coach for six-plus years now, 
you think that that defense would be in a somewhat better position than it is right now um, where, it, where it has been in the past. Um, the Eagles will probably get a win against Cincinnati, but I think that's a toss-up game for me too. I think Cincinnati is better than what people uh, portray them to be. I think Joe Burrow um, is going to be a very good quarterback in this league, and so it's more of just him kind of taking his lumps and seeing if he can steal a few wins here or there. But the Eagles are, have so many injuries. It's just, Especially to just, the offensive line. Yeah, yeah, and they just lost Jalen uh, Rager now for six to eight uh, weeks with a UCL tear in his thumb. So it's going to be it's going to be tr- it's going to be rough sledding for the Eagles this week. No doubt. And uh, quickly, a couple of uh, week three fantasy bounce back candidates that I had written down. Mark Andrews last week only had one reception for twenty nine yards. Uh, Adam Thielen three receptions for thirty one. Uh, Julio Jones, two receptions for 24. And Julio, much like Devontae Adams, looks like dealing with some lower body injuries that are, are bothering them. Both of them were seen visibly limping around at times, um, which has also allowed Russell Gage to kind of step up into those 21 targets that we had talked about. But Calvin Ridley uh, might be the best fantasy receiver in football right now, just based on the amount of looks that he gets from Matt Ryan and what he's been doing with them. Um, you and I both are Calvin Ridley fans. Uh, we actually negotiated a co-ownership of him in our dynasty league that we're in together. <laughs> I believe that the, I believe that the the share we worked out was that you would have him on Monday, Thursdays, and Sundays, and I would get him the rest of the week. So I think that's a fair share for everybody, and, and Calvin's going to be happy um, at his two loving homes now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Julio Jones this week, he had a rough last week, and it kind of came out after the game that. He had re-aggravated a hamstring injury during the game, but he kind of gutted it out. Um, he's somebody this week I'm not sure if I would be able to to bank on. Um, he's going to be a little bit of a risky play. I think they're going to manage his practice all week, and um, he's going to be hit with that, that dreaded questionable designation as we get into Sunday, and you're going to have to make a – I would definitely have a backup plan when it comes to, to Julio Jones this week. Yeah, and Devontae Adams, so – um, a lot of big names, high profile fantasy players, either out or questionable heading into this week. And I, I tend to think that teams are going to be conservative with these guys early in the year, knowing that the uh, truncated offseason is definitely affecting um, the health and the injuries that these guys are incurring uh, early on in the year. So be prepared to keep an eye on uh, on the news and on Sunday, make sure you double check and make sure that your players are, are, are not playing. Um, but speaking of bounce backs, Cam Newton for the Patriots this year has been electric Um, and he was just a play away from having his team starting out 2-0 to start the year Uh, but instead they're 1-1 looking up at Buffalo in the AFC East. Um, Newton accounted for 95% of the Patriots offensive yards in week two uh, 444 out of a total of 464. Um, What do you make of, of, of Cam Newton and his fit um, and what he's done so far for the Patriots, Brad. I, you know, I, it pains me in all of my soul to admit this, but I think that I think Bill Belichick is a genius. Look at how many <laughs> yeah. passed up Newton this year. I mean, he got Newton for a million dollars on a one-year deal, which is just pennies in the NFL, pennies on the dollar. And Newton has got off to one of his best passing starts of the year. He's get on pace to rush for something ridiculous like sixteen rushing touchdowns this year. Um, he's basically doing it all, and he's doing it with almost a worst cast, worst cast of receivers and running backs and talent around him than Brady had last year. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's amazing. I think that 
you know, I, I wonder with Newton's past injuries, how long he can keep this up. If his shoulder and his body can, can keep this type of wear and tear up for 16 games. But if it can, I mean, the Patriots, you know, when, when Brady left and the Patriots had a lot of players opt out for COVID and they were, you know, Jared Sidham was going to be the starter. I think everybody kind of writ, wrote them off. And, and this was going to be the year that they finally started that rebuild that they were rumored to have for the last five, six years. But they signed Newton, and I mean they're in. I mean they're in good shape. You're right; they're one play away from beating Seattle on the goal line, um, with that goal line stand that Seattle had on Sunday Night Football last week. So questionable call, I thought. Um, you know, they brought out a clear uh, quarterback sneak formation um, with the heavy set. That's uh, what they'd been doing all game. You know, I thought maybe, you know, at least put a, a receiver or two out wide just to maybe give Cam some options um, on maybe a smart route play or something. But uh, very straightforward. But it had been working all game, so I guess I can't uh, discredit it too much. But I thought it was a little questionable um, at the end of the game. I, th- um, I think that with – I think that they – I liked the the fake QB run fullback pass that they threw earlier in the game. I think before the – in the second or third quarter they had one there um, that went for a touchdown. Um, something like that where this this was just a power run off off the fullback and they were just going to try to will their way into the end zone and, and Seattle had it called the whole way, you know. So, um, yeah, it, you know, it worked most of the game. I think I agree with you. I think I'd like to see them spread out a little bit more. But, I mean, it doesn't take away from the fact that Newton is looks like a brand-new player in that offense. If that shoulder and, and body can hold up for the year, he's going to have a monster year. Yeah, I mean, I think really what was holding him back was just the culmination of all the injuries over the years from taking all the hits by uh, having to carry that Carolina offense uh, throughout his entire career. And uh, after having last season to kind of recoup and then um, into the offseason this year, uh, getting to pick his landing location and his spot. Um, you know, I've always been a big Cam fan. I think people forget how young he is and how accomplished he is as well as a player. Uh, a reminder to everybody that uh, Blaine Gabbert, Colt McCoy, Chase Daniel, A.J. McCarron, Matt Schaub, Matt Barkley, and Nathan Peterman all signed this offseason for more guaranteed money than Cam Newton. So hats off to them for for striking those deals. And I think Cam's going to line himself up to get a, a pretty nice deal next year after, after the performance of this season. Um, yeah, and whether that's with the Patriots or whether that's with a team like the Bears or the, you know, the Jaguars are high on Minshew right now, but – you know, he's, we're not even sure if he's the answer down there. He's definitely definitely setting himself up for another payday. Oh, don't you speak badly on, on Gardner Minshew <laughs> on this show, Brad. <laughs> um, Newton, according to Vegas odds, currently at plus 6,600 to win league MVP. While I do think Cam will keep up this level of performance, I don't know if it'll be enough to see him in the MVP discussion just due to some other guys having some bigger statistical seasons. Um, I personally am pushing for Russ to keep this performance up all year. I, I love his game, and I really want to see him uh, get acknowledged as the the league's best player because I think that he's been that in previous seasons and just not received the recognition. Um, the favorites, obviously, sitting at the top of that list are going to be Mahomes and, and Lamar Jackson still. Um, but a couple of value picks that I see um, at MVP currently with the odds, um, Josh Allen's at plus 5,000, Kyler Murray plus 2,500, um, Alvin Kamara at plus 10,000, 
and DeAndre Hopkins at plus 15,000. Well, I know that it's traditionally in recent times, uh, running backs and receivers aren't winning the award. Um, but what we've seen early on is uh, the Saints are dedicated to getting the ball into Alan Kamara's hands, whether through the run or the passing game. Um, and with Michael Thomas being sidelined, who knows how long that'll be. Um, I look for that to continue. So if that's the case, Kamara could end up with 25 touchdowns by the end of the season because that offense can still score in New Orleans. Um, and DeAndre Hopkins, um, again, a huge target share in week two, 35.7% from Kyler Murray. Um, and they just look to keep feeding him the ball. Um, and again, based on volume, he could have a huge season provided he stays healthy. Um, Brad, what do you think about Allen and Murray as potential MVP candidates this season? I think it's a little early to, to crown Allen as an MVP candidate. Uh, he's going to go into a stretch of schedule now where it's kind of like, you know, Dolphins and the Jets were the kind of the preseason, and now we're going to start the regular season with the Rams this week and, and fall into the next schedule a uh, few weeks here. Um, but I definitely – I think Murray has really – he's kind of taken over the rushing game there for Arizona right now. Kenyon Drake's had a couple – you know, solid weeks, but it's Murray every time they get to the to the goal line or even within the red zone, he's carrying the rock into the end zone. So, um, you know, th the big thing with the MVP, I think if you can pull like a Lamar Jackson did last year where he had, you know, 36 touchdowns uh, passing through the air, but also contribute on the ground with rushing touchdowns, that's the big thing. So you're looking at run uh, quarterbacks this year that can do that. And you've got Russell. Wilson, you've got Josh Allen, you've got Kyler Murray, and then you've got Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes are all in that discussion as well. So yep. um, I think this is the most exciting probably year that we're probably going to have from a young quarterback standpoint. There are a lot of really great – it kind of seems like a year where the, the torch is being passed. You've got Drew Brees and Tom Brady um, kind of at the end of their careers, those elite careers, and you've got guys like Allen and Murray and Wilson and obviously who Wilson has been around for a while, but you've got Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes coming up together. And, uh, you know, that's kind of the next wave of, of great young quarterbacks in the league. And it's kind of exciting to see, but, you know, I, I'd say between Murray and Allen, I think Murray is more uh, somebody who's going to be able to, to be able to pull that out this year than Allen. But, you know, the season is so young. We talk about MVP candidates and throw around that name. I think a little too easy, especially this early in the year. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But you know, I, I'm excited that football's back. It, it's really, it doesn't seem real still that we're already going into the third week of the season. And um, it's just so exciting. Um, but there's a lot going on in the world of sports outside of football. So at this time, I want to thank you, Brad, for being with us today and talking NFL. It's been a tough week seeing so many players go down with injuries, but there's a lot to be excited about heading into the third week. Um, any parting words of wisdom for our listeners this week, Brad? No, just remember that Sundays are for the football games. <laughs> it's going to be a great week. I think that um, it's going to be, you know, there are a lot of really good games this week. I think that, uh, especially like you said, the Chiefs and Ravens, Bills, Rams, um, even the uh, Steelers, Texans is going to be, I think, a good game as well. So a lot of good ones on the slate this week. And, uh, Hopefully we'll be back next week. I'll have our DFS uh, preview up on the website on uh, Thursday here, and uh, we'll be uh, ready to go for all your betting needs this week. All right. Well, at this time, uh, Brad's going to hop off, and I'm going to bring in our other writer, Brett, um, to go over some uh, NHL. We're in the Stanley Cup finals now um, with the Lightning and Stars. Uh, 
Uh, also, NBA Conference Finals are going on as we're seeing the Heat and the Celtics uh, in the East and um, the Lakers and the Nuggets in the Western Conference. Uh, and if we have some time, we'll go over some baseball, go over some Premier League. Uh, for now, uh, say goodbye, Brad. Hey, let's take it easy, guys. We'll see you next week. Bye. And we're back. Okay, now joining me is fine vet writer and contributor Brett Ludwizak. Brett, we've known each other for a long time, and we've always bonded over our love for sports and restaurants that push the boundaries on how many burger patties inside of one sandwich can be socially acceptable. How are you feeling now that a full slate of sports is back in front of our eyes and in a world where Grubhub and Postmates exists? Well, it's great to have sports back especially after those few months of just nothing. It seemed like I was watching Jeopardy and Ridiculousness all day long. <laughs> but uh, with that, having Grubhub and Postmates is nice because now it allows me to get even fatter. And <laughs> if only Burger King still had the quad stacker, I would probably be, have a heart attack by now. I remember the days of us sitting around a table enjoying our quad stackers together. And uh, oh, I have to say that I long for those days, Brad. <laughs> great to be on the great to be on the podcast i appreciate you being here um we were just talking uh before you got on about how we're hoping that uh, all the sports that are back in session can continue to stay on top of preventing the spread and uh, continue playing and uh, one of the leagues that it has uh, had its up and downs of keeping play going is major league baseball um and now we're into the last five days of games of the regular season. And with the expanded playoff structure this year, here's where we're at. So far in the AL, we have Tampa Bay, the Yankees, the White Sox, Oakland, Minnesota, and most recently Cleveland that has clinched their spots in the playoffs um, as eight teams are going to get in this year. Uh, currently, as it would stand, Houston and Toronto would be in. Um, but there are a few teams that still have a chance to uh, sneak their way into the playoffs. Um, Brett, what's your opinion on how that playoff picture is going to shape up here as the last few days of play come to conclusion? Well, I don't really think there's much intrigue in terms of the teams that are going to make it because I don't really see the Angels or Seattle making it just with the schedule they have left. What's going to be interesting is to see how the matchups between those eight teams play out. I know Minnesota's sitting there hoping they don't play the Yankees since it seems like every single year the Yankees beat them in the playoffs. And right now they're just a half a game behind the White Sox. So you could see those flip-flops. So you might see the Indians playing the Twins and the Yankees playing the White Sox. And another team, you have Tampa Bay. But, I mean, they're going to face a tough either a Toronto team, who knows them, or they could even be playing, who knows, how things would work out. Maybe they're playing Cleveland. You know, maybe the tribe slips back into the eighth spot. And so, I mean, it's hard. In a year that's unpredictable in baseball, the playoffs are going to be even more exciting to watch. Oh, I agree. I love the expanded playoffs. I want to see more teams on an annual basis anyways. I just think 162 games is such a long season to only reward such a small percentage of teams in the league. Um, I hope this is something that they do, in fact, continue to implement um, into the future. And, um, I mean, honestly, Brad, like, I would like to see more, uh, to be completely frank. Yeah, at first, when I heard this, I'm like, uh, I didn't know if I was going to like it too much. 
But as we're getting closer to it, I'm really excited about the baseball playoffs. Probably more excited than I've been in quite a while for them. Oh, yeah. And it's going to be interesting to see how the bubble system that they're going to use for the playoff works out. Uh, but I think it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see, but I think it's going to work out just fine in the end. Well, I know as, as Yankee fans, I don't know about you, but I just couldn't have been happier about how the Red Sox season this year went this year. And I know the loss of Mookie Betts was huge, but, you know, just looking at it on paper, I still felt like the Red Sox had a pretty decent team and that they, they would still compete. But they've been towards the bottom of the league all season, and it was just a, a disaster for them. What do you think brought about their struggles, and, 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 <laughs> and do you think that this can hopefully continue on into next season? I think it's, it's not going to be a one-season fix for the Red Sox. So right now you look at their roster, they don't really have a lot of pitching. And I don't really see many reinforcements on the way. They're trying to cut payroll, so it's not like you're going to splurge on free agents like they have in the past. They have some good offensive pieces in Alex Verdugo, who they got in the Mookie Betts trade. You have Xander Bogarts, Rafael Devers. But you're still you still have that J.D. Martinez contract. He's not playing up to his potential right now. And it's just going to be – they might not – I mean, next year they might not finish in last like they are right now, but I think it's going to be tough for them to sniff the playoffs. Oh, yeah. I think so, too. I mean, that's going to be a competitive division moving forward because the Yankees are only going to get better if they're able to stay healthy. And Tampa has shown, um, I believe they have the best record in the AL um, in this shortened yep. season, um, and they just have loads of young talent. Um mm -hmm they're going to be good for the next few years. So Boston's going to have a struggle to get back to uh, claiming supremacy in that division. And, um, and the only, the only downfall for the Yankees is similar to what you were mentioning about JD Martinez and that contract kind of weighing them down. Um, Mike Stanton, Giancarlo Stanton, his contract is just so massive. Even if the Yankees wanted to, I don't see them being able to move that contract. And at this point, it's going to be a pretty big detriment to them because, based on how often they have major players being injured. I, I just, I know they're deep, but I just, it makes me worry. Um, is there anything that you think the Yankees can do in this off season um, to improve their chances of not having the slides that we saw them uh, deal with in this short season here in 2020 um, through free agency or trades or, or anything you think that they, that might be on the horizon that we're not thinking of? Well, the first thing would be, Rap, or turning Mike Stanton, a.k.a. Giancarlo, into RoboCop, so he's never injured anymore. But since that's not a possibility, they're good on offense. I mean, you look at some of the names who they've gotten, Luke Voigt, Aaron Judge, Glaber Torres, DJ LeMahieu. It's just keeping them healthy. That's the big thing. They need a little more work on the pitching staff. I mean, you have Garrett Cole, who's phenomenal. Mm -hmm. But there is, you have J.A. Happ. He's been iffy at best. Average. Tanaka's getting up there in age. And with Tanaka, too, you always worry about his arm just blowing up at any given time. Yep. And then Never also, had that Tommy John that he probably should have had. And then also you look at Chapman. How many years does he have left? Mm -hmm. He's not – I mean, he still brings the heat, but it's not quite like a few years ago. So he's he seems like he's on the downside of his career. So they're going to have to start looking at another option at closer, closer in the future. 
Oh, I agree. And it's something that uh, they're going to have to get creative in how they get that accomplished. But they do have a deep farm system. So, mm. that, you know, with Davey Garcia coming up this year and looking like he's going to be a viable option for them in the years to come in the starting rotation, um, you know, they have talent down there. And whether they want to bring the, that talent up if they're developed enough or they want to use those as pieces to make trades to improve their roster in the short term uh, is yet to be seen. But uh, Cashman's made good decisions uh, recently. Uh, giving me faith in, in kind of the direction that they've, they've been taking. Um, I'm, I'm going to hold any judgment until I see how some of these players perform in the playoffs, specifically Aaron Judge and, and Giancarlo Stanton. Um, but is there a more underrated player, in your opinion, than LeMahieu in this lineup over the past two seasons? Oh, no. I mean, he's been he's been everything for the Yankees. They, they're not making it to the uh, ALCS last year without Mayhew, and he he's going to take them as far as he can this year too. So you look at what the Yankees compared to some of the other guys they signed. They signed Lemayhu for peanuts, and he's been so much worth so much more than what what they're paying him. Oh yeah. He's been an MVP caliber player for the past two years. And, um, you know, he's provided stability um, in that lineup at, in times where they've had most of their stars out. So, you know, big ups to him. Uh, you know, I'm excited for these playoffs. I'm excited to see more teams in it. Um, but let's move and take a look at the NL now. Um, a different story in the National League. So far, the Dodgers, um, with the best record in Major League Baseball, uh, they have clinched. The Padres have clinched. Uh, Atlanta and the Cubs but other than that it's pretty wide open there's a lot of teams still in contention with only Arizona and Pittsburgh mathematically eliminated from contention um, how do you see this playing out I mean you could throw you could throw darts at a dartboard and probably have better better luck at trying to figure out the NL than actually looking at the standings there it's unpredictable this year who would have thought that the Marlins would still be in the playoff race after the way they started their season. Uh, definitely not me. Yeah, and it's been – and then you look at some of these other teams. Cincinnati, they struggled. It looked like they were going to miss the playoffs, and now they're in the seventh seed. Uh, I mean, you have the traditional powers, like the Dodgers and the Braves in there, which, you know, you, you're going to get them. But some of these other teams that are still in it, too, it's it, – only having two teams eliminated right now, I mean, who knows how many play-in games that we're going to have for mm -hmm. the NFL? Yeah. Yeah, it could be. It could get pretty wild out there in the NL. I'm, uh, I'm very interested to see here in these closing days uh, how it shapes up. And, and um, I mean, good for them. I mean, uh, I honestly, I typically tend to watch more American League baseball um, just because I'm a fan of the designated hitter, and I, I appreciate the way that National League teams have played the game. But quite honestly, it's it's it needs updating to me. And I think the addition of the DH to the NL this season has kind of proven that it's it's it, it, it just produces a better product of baseball um, at this oh, yeah. point. And allowing those teams to have that additional bat in the lineup has just made the game more exciting over on that end. Yeah, it's it brings a little bit of offense into it, and then nobody wants to see a pitcher who's batting a hundred, you know, 
nobody wants to see that. I mean, about the only time they want to see a pitcher in the batter's box if they're if he's hit some hit the opposing team's guy in the previous inning, and they're going to see if there's a bean brawl more coming <laughs> coming out of it. But uh, I mean, absolutely, you know, it's it's kind of like if uh, the NFL made um, every starting kicker have to take like every third third down snap as, at quarterback yeah. or something like that. Like we have people in there for a reason because they're good at what they do. They'll make people that aren't good at hitting hit uh, four mm. times a game. Yeah. But yeah, the DH is you know, it's game changer there, and bring, just bringing some excitement just overall back into baseball. You know, at, for a while there, it almost I was I'm not gonna say dying, but if you watch Brockmire, you know it's it sort of seemed like it was on that trajectory. Where at least now you just you have a little bit of life with some of the young stars. Now if some of these old sports writer guys can get off the unwritten rules of baseball, game would be even better. I agree. You know, I want baseball to be fun. You know, I grew up playing baseball and it's a great game and it's a thinking man's game. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of beauty and the sacrifice bunt and the double play. Uh, So, you know, I know a lot of younger kids in in these generations have probably shifted away and they're playing soccer and basketball uh, and football. But, uh, you know, hopefully baseball will remain uh, one of the major sports in, in, in America because it is a wonderful game and there's, quite there's nothing quite like a playoff baseball uh, you know you get that chill in the air and you just kind of get that smell in your nose and you just kind of know it's time and uh, so I'm, I'm excited for this to happen because in a year like this it's definitely something I think we need as a society oh yeah yep so coming out of the NL coming out of the NL Brett who do you like to come out of the NL and and represent the National League in the World Series this year it it's tough to go against against the Dodgers with the talent they have and the pitching that they have. But for some reason, it just seems that they can't get, they can never get it done. They may, may even go to the world series, but they're, they don't win the world series. There's just something off about that team. Mm. Maybe Mookie Betts fi- fixes that, but I'm not, I'm not quite buying it quite yet. One team that intrigues me is Atlanta. You look at some of the young bats that they have, Ronald Acuna, Ozzy Albies, even Freddie Freeman, Marcelo Zuna, and they're supposed to be getting some pitching back for the playoffs too. So they could be a very strong contender. And in terms of just one team that I want to see make a run in the playoffs, being that I live in Columbus, Ohio, I have a, a lot of friends who are Reds fans. So it'd be nice just to, for them just to have a deep run in the playoffs. And it'd be nice to feel some of their excitement that they're feeling for their team. Absolutely. And you know, uh, you know, one of the teams that I do root for, um, being a, just an overall Ohio sports fan, uh, based in the my my deep love for the Cleveland Browns, mm-hmm. but that extends out to the Cleveland Indians and um, former Indian Trevor Bauer, now Cincinnati Red, has had a fantastic season and also been one of my favorite personalities throughout the the. 2019 to 2020 offseason into this season for being very vocal and one of the guys that are kind of leading the charge against the Houston Astros and the hypocrisy that they have cast upon the major leagues. And, um, you know, I usually don't like to to fade or, or talk badly upon teams, but uh, I, I don't like the Houston Astros. I do think that they cheated. I don't necessarily think they're the only ones that have done it recently or even in the same way that they had, but, being that they, they have been caught, 
I just think it's worse than steroids and everything that the bad that's happened in them this season I've enjoyed and I really don't hope or wish them any success in the playoffs. And so for that reason, Trevor Bauer is one of my favorite players at this point in baseball. And uh, I'm also pulling for the Reds, albeit a pretty uh, subjective opinion. The Reds just better make sure they keep them away from drones. <laughs> Yes, they should. They should. So we covered the NL there. In the in the AL, obviously, I have personal ties to the Yankees and, and also, as I just mentioned, the Indians. So I'm, I'm hoping for those guys. I do think that the Yankees are a prohibitive favorite um, now that they're getting healthier. And we've seen the production of Luke Voigt um, and LeMahieu and some of those guys that you kind of consider role players that have stepped up and showed that they can also carry the team if need be. Um, but if not the Yankees in the AL, who do you see making it out of there, um, being that their their playoff picture is kind of more uh, clearly set at this point? Um, who do you like if it's not the Yankees? One team that's interesting to me is just Oakland. I don't know why. It's just they're not – they don't have, like, stars on the they're team. They're a fun team. Yeah, it's just their fundamentals, it seems like. I mean, they have – they have some guys here and there, you know, not household names, but quality, quality players. So it'd be fun to see a team like that make a run if the, if the Yankees can't, they're almost like the anti-Yankees. Um, so, I mean, that'd be fun if the Yankees can't win. The White Sox also, because they have, they have some young stars. I mean, you look at uh, Luis Robert and uh, Yohan Mankata. And then also you still have Jose Abreu. And then on the mound, you have Lucas Giolito, who threw the first no-hitter this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'd be a fun team to watch, make it make a run. Uh, so, if obviously, we're not rooting for Houston here. But those would be a couple teams that I'd like to see, you know, push into the ALDS, ALCS, or even farther. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you 100% on the White Sox there. I think they're a fun team to watch, and there's a lot of guys to root for. And really, uh, mentioning Abreu, let's move on to discussion of some of the MVP candidates this year. I put Jose Abreu towards the top of the list for the AL, uh, including my boy Luke Voigt. Uh, also, Jose Ramirez in uh, the running for, for winning that award this year. Um, what's your take on that? I Especially after – if you saw what Ramirez did last night to with his walk-off homer, clinching a playoff spot for the Indians, it's hard. It's going to be hard to go against Ramirez for the MVP. He's just been on fire the last September. Even in the last week, he's had like six homers, sixteen RBIs, and six games. So I mean, he's just playing phenomenal baseball right now. Um, Abreu's another good. Uh, pick for it. He's been leading a team of mostly younger players, uh, and he's been performing great all year. Uh, Luke Voigt, I I love Luke Voigt. <laughs> I don't know if he's the, quite the MVP because he, he has such a good surrounding cast around him, but he did really keep the Yankees afloat there when they were struggling. Yes, yes, he did, and it shows you the weird things that can happen in a shortened season like this, which we were expecting. Um, but to see things play out the way they did, um, you know, there were, there were some things that stayed the same, but also some surprises like Lou Hoyt, you know, being a legitimate candidate uh, in the MVP discussion this year. Um, but let's move to the NL now. Um, I think it's probably Mookie Betts for me. Um, but there's a couple other strong contenders. There's Manny Machado. 
uh, Marcelo Zuna, although I think he played mainly out of the DH position at this point uh, this season, but he had a fantastic offensive season. Uh, is there anybody else for you, Brett, that should be thought about in this conversation? One, I have one player, Fernando Tatis Jr. Mm. Now Machado might take some of the votes away from him, but he was great the first couple months of the year. And especially he had one stretch where I, I can't remember exactly the stats that he had, but he hit that grand slam when they were just destroying Texas. And he, the Rangers manager was so mad about it. And I, I loved it. You know, it's like they're up, you know, 11, 11 runs or something like that. And he's getting mad because Tatis is hitting a 3-0 pitch or whatever. And then the next day, you know, you see other just giant comebacks in baseball. So the game's never over. But just the way he's been sort of ruffling some feathers, you know, that, that's been great to see out of and Tatis. And, I mean, he's just a great young talent, which for the next 10, 15 years, he should be one of the best players in the game. Yeah, and that San Diego team has a lot of young talent to build around. You know, I really still think you can include Machado in the conversation mm -hmm. of still being relatively young talent in regards to, you know, baseball age. Um, but another guy that is there that is potentially going to be rookie of the year is uh, Jay Cronworth. Yeah, I I don't really know much about him coming into the season, um, aside from he went to Michigan, which – <laughs> nah, me you know being an Ohio State guy yeah. you know it's that's tough to see but I mean he's been playing great for the Padres and it's hard to I can't really think of any of anyone else in the NL who would be deserving of that award one of the pitchers from the Marlins Sixto Sanchez he's coming around and I sort of want to give him the award just on his first name alone <laughs> but I think it's Cronenworth to lose what about the AL uh AL I would have to go – I mentioned him a little earlier, Luis Robert um, for the White Sox. Yeah, uh, I think he runs away with it. Yeah. There's some other – you know, a few other guys, but they haven't really played up to the level that he has. So, I think it's going to be really tough for anybody else to take home that award. Absolutely. So, moving on to the Stanley Cup, you have an article going up on finebet.com that takes a look at the finals matchup between the Tampa Bay Lightning and Dallas Stars. Yeah, it's been a great series so far. Um, as, as we're doing this, they're playing game three right now, and it's tied 1-1 after two games. Uh, Dallas won the first game 4-1, to one, and then Tampa came out firing in the second game, scoring three goals in the first period. Dallas tried to make a comeback, but fell just short, falling 3-2 in the game. And I think we have another, we have a great three, four games left in this series. I had a, I have Tampa winning in six games. Um, that's what my prediction was. But I could really see it going – I could see it going to seven. I could see Dallas winning in six. I could see Dallas winning in seven. These are two pretty evenly matched teams. I give the edge to Tampa just because I feel like they have a little more offensive talent. Mm -hmm. And while Dallas has had a great – Anton Kudobin has been great in goal for him, uh, he did really start to play us as a backup. And he's he shined after taking over the job for Ben Bishop. But I just feel like Andre Vasilevsky for Tampa is just a little bit better. Um, he sort of saw that a little more in game two. But it's just going to be – Real fun series to cap off 
<laughs> a weird, strange hockey season. <laughs> now, speaking of game two, um, Dallas took three early penalties uh, in that game, giving Tampa a bunch of power play opportunities, getting uh, giving them the opportunity to get their deadly power play going. Ultimately, two power play goals helped uh, being the difference in that game. Um, you know, Dallas has tended to be pretty good defensively and, um, you know, not have those types of penalties. But if they keep giving these up to Tampa, they're going to destroy them. Um, do you think that's something that they're going to be able to do, make those adjustments? Or do you think it's going to be more of the same just based on Tampa having such talent on, uh, within their forwards that they're just going to cause these, these types of penalties to occur? When I watch Dallas, I sort of – I'm a Columbus Blue Jackets fan. So what the Blue Jackets – they swept Tampa last year in the playoffs because Tampa had the – won the President's Trophy. Um, and then this year, they – Tampa beat them in five games, but the Blue Jackets really pushed them in that series. And what I see a lot from Dallas is what the Blue Jackets do. They, they're active with their sticks. They get in front of shots, blocking shots, and they're just pests. Mm-hmm. And Dallas does a lot of that. So I think Dallas has played, you know, when you get to this level of the playoffs, you know, you can – I think it was more of an anomaly that they – had all them penalties in the first period in game two. Mm-hmm. They can play smart hockey while still playing, you know, staying out of the penalty box. If they do give Tampa those chances, oh, they have no chance, like you said. Tampa, they have Nikita Kucherov, Braden Point, even a skilled defenseman like Victor Hedman. If you give Tampa those opportunities, they're going to bury them. And even – even an even strength when, you know, I think there's just a little bit too much playmaking with Tampa that Dallas doesn't have. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, I don't see Dallas being able to pull this out. You know, I was just kind of going through the list of players involved in the series and it just kept surprising me the talent that Tampa had that I guess I just didn't realize um, that they did because I don't know that many hockey players offhand by name, but when I can pretty much recognize half of that roster, um, not having watched much hockey this season, um, you know, that, that to me tells me that they're just a a far more talented team. So as long as they can execute, I see them moving uh, uh, to the end of the series with a victory and and holding up Lord Stanley's cup. And even you look at Dallas, like, these during the regular season, Tyler Sagan was their leading scorer with just 50 points. It was pretty low for a leading score, even in a little bit of a short NHL season. He, he's almost been non-existent in the playoffs for Dallas so far this year. He had, he has like eight, nine points you know, just throughout the playoffs. The stars are led in scoring by Mira Heiskanen, who most of his points come via assist. And they have, Joe Pavelski, who's a veteran, so he does give him some of that veteran leadership along with Jamie Benn. But I think Tampa has something to prove after last year getting bounced, getting swept nonetheless in the first round by the by the AC to Blue Jackets. So and they they're gonna hoist their second Stanley Cup in franchise history. Good for Canada because they actually get to see a Stanley Cup raise. I know they're just mad at, by one of their own teams. Ouch. We had just uh well. Nobody in Canada will ever listen to us ever now. <laughs> well, it's not like they're letting us in anyway. <laughs> no, they're not. But in Canada, they're, one of their biggest exports is um, 
spectacular hockey prospects. And speaking of prospects, is there anybody coming up in uh, this year's draft to know about that might be the next Connor McDavid or Austin Matthews? Well, the, the consensus number one overall picks is going to be Alexis Lafreniere. I mean, I I know the name. I haven't really said it that much, which is why I had some problems pronouncing it. Well, the, the more difficult the pronunciation, usually the better they are. Yeah. <laughs> the, the bad thing is he's going. the New York Rangers have the first pick in the draft, which they don't really need him. I mean, they had the second pick overall last year. And not only – and they also signed Artemi Panarin, who was in the running for MVP this year. And they have a, a number of other good young players. So it's only going to strengthen that Eastern Conference, which I – like I said, I'm a Blue Jackets fan. And I u- grew up rooting for the Sabres. So, I mean – I don't really want to see another good, <laughs> real good player in the Eastern Conference just for the sake of those two teams. Yeah, well, God bless them because that's what's going to happen, and they're going to have a difficult time making their way back up towards the top of the standings there. But let's shift gears uh, over to the NBA. We are in the conference final stage where we have uh, the Nuggets and the Lakers out west and then the Heat and the Celtics who are playing, uh, I believe, as we speak right now. Um, and they are uh, – in a heated battle, but let's start out with LA and Denver. Um, last night we saw the Nuggets get one back, um, making that series 2-1 now with LA ahead. Jamal Murray was amazing. He had a statement dunk and a dagger three to seal the win for them. Uh, the Lakers have been somewhat successful at defending Jokic, uh, but they've had no answer for Murray all series really, and it looks like he's really getting it going at the right time. Um, what will be the reason if the Lakers are to win this series and same question for if the Nuggets are able to win. For the Lakers, it's going to be two of the best players in the NBA. I'm taking nothing away from Jokic and Murray, but they're not LeBron and AD. You're going to get – the Lakers, they're going to move on with that veteran leadership that LeBron has. He wants perfection out of those around him. I mean, he'll be going – if the Lakers go to the, go to the finals, what, that's going to be his, like, 10th and – finals of his career so he's going to do anything he can to take another team to the finals and it's even though the Nuggets have played them not only did they win game three they took him to the wire in game two I just think as the series goes deeper you know he's going to expect more he's going to ask for more out of his his teammates there um, you're going to see Rondo play even stronger basketball. I mean, you looked at what he did in game three, causing turnovers, doing everything he could to keep the Lakers in. They just couldn't get quite back over the edge there. That and is, uh, that's a player that's played in a lot of playoff games. It's showing what it's you learn throughout those experiences. It's ridiculous. I was watching the game last night and they, they showed a stat of where Rondo passed Kobe Bryant in terms of all-time playoff assists. Uh, I mean, that's just, you don't really think of him. I mean, he's been in so many playoff games, but you don't really think of him accumulating stats sort of like a Kobe or I think he, MJ, Michael Jordan, he was like 11th on that list where Rondo's now ninth, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. I mean, I know they weren't really known for their assists, but still how much they played uh, and for Rondo to pass, pass them on that list, that just shows you what type of career he's had. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, he's always played for, good teams, you know, even coming into the league, uh, being a part of that, the, those Celtics teams with all those great veterans, um, you know, he was able to soak in all that knowledge early in his career and he never will, uh, will, will, 
<laughs> you never faltered under the pressure. Uh, don't edit that out. We're just going to keep that because that's terrible. But he never faltered under any pressure early in his career. And um, he's been a steady presence in every lineup for every team that he's been a part of. Um, and, you know, that those are things that are irreplaceable. Those are things that I think in this series – puts the Lakers over the top on Denver because Denver's a talented team and they're going to be a force in the Western conference. If they're able to keep this core together for a long time to come along with Dallas, um, if Kristaps Porzingis is able to stay healthy, but right now they're just not ready to, to take on this LeBron and, and this veteran led team um, that's hungry for a championship. And, and you can just tell by the way LeBron's approaching this series, even in the loss last night, um, he played probably his best game of the series so far, um, but he smells, you know, the blood in the water. Um, and he knows that this is a chance to go get his fourth title. And, and, you know, as long as AD comes back and they're able to continue to build this roster, um, put him in realistic uh, reach of, of tying uh, Kobe Bryant for five and, who knows if he would even get there, but, you know, to, before we start talking about getting the six to Jordan, but, um, you know, that's on his mind because he cares about his legacy. Yeah. And Denver, what they've done has been amazing so far, you know, coming back from three, one deficits against Utah and against the Clippers. But if they got to go to a game seven against the Lakers, I you know nobody really thought they were going to beat the Clippers and they did no. I, even even the less people are going to think that they're going to beat the Lakers if this series goes through a game seven. So talking about LeBron, it reminds me <clears throat> really quick to mention um, to visit finebet.com to uh, take a look at my editorial piece about LeBron and what he's meant to this Lakers team this season and why he's still the king of the league. Um, let's move to the East now. Same type of series. Heat went up 2-0, and then we saw Boston uh, get a win to make it 2-1 in Game 3. Game 4 is happening right now as we speak, and um, I suspect the Celtics are going to even the series tonight. They're a lot more evenly matched than I gave the Heat credit for heading into the series, um, and I envision this going back and forth to probably a, a seven-game series. Um, do you agree, uh, and, and who do you have winning here? I, I just – I'm not a Boston fan, just any other sports in general. You know, it's, they've, in terms of my teams, it seems like they've always been a nemesis who's beaten my team. So I'm always <laughs> going to hate Boston teams. So I'll take Miami to, you know, just be a little different on that. Um, I mean, this series has been tough so far. I mean, you look at games one and two, physical, overtime, the bam, blocking Jason Tatum's dunk there to secure the game for the Heat. I mean, that's been Fun basketball to watch. And it's it's only going to get better as the pressure gets turned up. I mean, you have some guy, new guys, Tyler Hero, stepping up. And, I mean, sort of older guys, Gordon Dragic doing his thing. And then just on the other side, too. I mean, Jason Tatum is going to be one, one of the stars in the league. Marcus Smart really coming into his own this year, showing the talent that he has. And then you had guys like Jalen Brown and um, – and you're getting Gordon Hayward even back healthy. So, I mean, there's yeah, a lot Gordon of Gordon Hayward's an afterthought. I do the same thing. I, I've looked through this roster in my head, and I always forget that Gordon Hayward's there and the things that he's able to do for this team because he's really, uh, I feel like, assimilated into that role of being somebody that is comfortable, be, comfortable being the fourth option, but he's 
I think stepped up the level of his defensive play and he's always been a good um, mover without the ball. Um, but he's also improved his passing ability, um, and that's just helped guys like Jalen Brown and um, uh, Jason Tatum in their development this year. So, so shouts to shouts to Gordon Hayward while he's been healthy, and, and once he's healthy, he's a very dangerous uh, fourth option for that team. Yeah, and and just the coaches in that matchup too. I mean, you have Brad Stevens and Eric Spolstra. I mean to the best in the Eastern Conference there. So it's it's going to be a chess match all the way. And, yeah, I, I hope it goes seven because game three wasn't that much – wasn't that entertaining, but the first two games were great. Yeah, I mean, like I said before uh, last week, I, I, I picked the Celtics to win in six uh, in my, my playoff coverage piece, but I, I really am pulling for the Heat. I just love Jimmy Butler and that team, uh, Tyler Harrow and – and Duncan Robinson have been fun to watch in their development. And um, so I'm excited to see what happens tonight. Whenever we end here, I'm going to throw the game on and uh, be sinking myself into that for the rest of the evening. Um, but even though we're, run, we're running over again, and I apologize, uh, I do want to cover English Premier League with you really quick, just because you're one of the few writers on staff that, that really uh, gets into it and is knowledgeable on what's going on over there. So um, if you just real quickly just want to go over what we've missed um, in these past few weeks, uh, maybe some overperformers, underperformers, and also if you want to touch on a couple of the notable transfers uh, from the offseason and any pending transfers like uh, Sancho to Man United, um, take a couple minutes, and, and I just wanted to touch on it before we go. Well, what we've missed in the EPL is everything because of the Peacock app. <laughs> but no, I've been, I've been following and watch what I can watch, and I'm still hesitant to – Dole out the five bucks a month or whatever until they work the kinks out of that. But um, so far, I mean, it's one of the main matchup of the second week was Liverpool against Chelsea. And Chelsea, Andres Christensen had a red card towards the end of the first half, and things just snowballed from there. So Liverpool's Liverpool. They're getting stronger too. Um, they really haven't changed much of their roster. Um, but one team that has added a few pieces is Tottenham brought back Gareth Bale on loan. So that should be – I mean, Spurs are always going to sort of Spurs it up, you know, but it, having Bale back, maybe that sort of elevates them back into that conversation for the top four. No, I hate the, I hate the hate on, on Gareth Bale because he's one of the most accomplished players of this generation, and he's still, uh, I think, one of the most elite players in the world. So I'm, I'm excited for them to, to reunite – uh, there in Tottenham, and I think there's some talent there, and they can make some noise this year in the EPL. Yep, and and then you see, I mean, they still got Harry Kane, and um, Son had uh, four goals the other day, so yeah, that was you don't really see that too too much in, in in English soccer there. So I mean, that's pretty impressive for he putting his name out front of the Golden Boot early in the year. Um, one one other transfer I'll mention is Chelsea brought in Timo Werner from uh, Leipzig. So that should at least shore up their striking attack when they're probably not playing Liverpool. Uh, and it, with them, it's going to be great. They'll be one of the future teams because, you know, NBCSN, when they're when games aren't on Peacock, they're going to show as much Chelsea as possible when Christian Pulisic gets healthy. Yeah, and I love seeing Pulisic out there. Um, I love seeing an American representing at such a high level at such a, an early age. Uh, I think it will go a long way in uh, 
garnering the popularity of the sport uh, here domestically, and it's a, it's a wonderful sport, and there's a lot of great players to watch uh, across all the leagues over there in Europe. And um, but EPL is where it's at for us. And although I'm a Manchester United fan, and all after all the great moves that Chelsea had made, and knowing that Liverpool is still Liverpool, um, you know, it's a little disheartening. Uh, a little disheartening start to the season for us as well. But, uh, but that's the way it goes. There's still 36 match days left, so plenty of time to write that ship. There is. I just want to get Sancho there. (laughs) Well, in the first segment, uh, Brad and I had talked about Houston and Baltimore, and we've uh, talked about a bat. We've come to agreement on that uh, primetime game, and I'm taking Lamar and the Ravens. Brad has Mahomes and the Chiefs, and the loser will be shamed by posting their picture to our Fine Bet social media accounts wearing the gear from the other team's favorite squad. So for me, I'm a Browns fan, so he'd have to rock some Browns gear. And for me, he's a Bills fan, so I'd have to represent Bills Mafia uh, on our social media. Um, And then also for one week, we get naming rights for the other team's uh, team and our Dynasty League we're in together. So keep an eye out for that on our social media pages. Um, That is all the time that we have for this week. I want to thank uh, Brad again for joining us. And for the first time on the podcast, Brad, thanks for being here. And, thank uh, you for popping my Fine Bet podcast, Cherry. I appreciate it. It was fun. You know, thank you for enlightening us with your sports knowledge and sparkling personality. Uh, I want to remind everybody, go to finebet.com to check out Brett's coverage on the Stanley Cup Finals. And remember to follow us on Twitter at find underscore bet and on Instagram at findbet, just one word, to know when all of our new content hits findbet.com. Um, I did want to mention very quickly NFL Hall of Famer Gail Sayers has passed away today at the age of 77. Uh, rest in peace to the Kansas Comet. Um, but thank you and, again. And one, one I would like to add to is Road Warrior Animal, the father of former NFL linebacker James Laurinaitis. He also passed away today, sadly. So rest in peace to him and thoughts and prayers with his family and those close to him. Sad, sad times. But thanks again for joining us on The Catch. And until next time, God bless Gardner Minshew. (laughs) Thank you.